morning, it's Thursday the 23rd of February and you're welcome to Galway Talks with me, John Morley. Coming up on the programme today, we'll be hearing from two survivors on the Mother and Baby Homes Redress Scheme Bill, which was passed by the Dáil last night. We'll also be speaking with Dave O'Connell in the Connacht Tribune headlines. We'll be speaking with a Longford woman who will talk to us about her incredible act of kindness which was shown to her and her daughter in Galway on Tuesday evening. We'll have Councillor Mary Hold on as councillors urge Oireachtas to diminish, not to diminish democracy in new planning bill. We'll also hear from a Headford councillor who's warning of bogus tradesmen operating in North Galway. All that with lots, lots more coming up between now and 12 midday. A very good morning to you and you're welcome into today's programme. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can on 086-3833-553. That's our text and WhatsApp number brought to you by Rational Windows, bringing together daylight, beauty and warmth to truly amplify your happy home. You can also email us, comments at goybayfm.ie and you can also ring our reception on 0917700077. Siobhan is on hand to take all your comments for us today. Now, though, I want to start off the show as I have been doing the past two mornings by talking about the Mother and Baby Homes Redress Scheme because that was passed in the Dáil last night despite all of the drawbacks that we've been discussing the past few days. That includes around 40% of survivors actually being excluded from access to the bill due to various reasons. Um, but to discuss this further, I want to talk with two survivors now. We have James Sugru and also Conrad Brine. Gentlemen, a very good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. James, I might start with you. Uh, before we go into the nuts and bolts of this scheme um, and it being passed by the doll last night, I might just get you to inform our listeners a bit about your personal experience because it was widely reported as well that boarded out children would be ones that would be excluded from any compensation under a redress scheme. Well, you want to know my background as, as to wh- how I came to be boarded out? Yes. Yeah, well, uh, I have two brothers uh, when we were I was seven Michael was six and David was one years old we were brought to Ireland by my mother and she abandoned us in the county home in Kalani and uh, we didn't see her anymore for 11 years we were there for nearly a year and during that time we suffered horrendous abuse from the nuns uh, we was we, we had to sleep in a geriatric ward uh, where people were dying in the night and eventually we were boarded out uh, without any uh, consultation or meeting with the the future foster parents. We were told one day these two people were taking us and we had to go. My brother David was left behind. He was fostered later. We didn't see him for another 12 years. Michael and I were taken to a village in South Kerry where uh, we were separated again. So we were, this is more separation he was taken to one farm. I was taken to another. Both of us, um, both the farms were owned by the same family. So you can see that it was well thought out that these two children would be helpful on the farm. And as the lady in the house described to a neighbour once, uh, when she asked who I was, she said, this is a little boy we brought out of the home to do jobs around the house. No affection, no nothing else. That was what we were there for. And that's what happened. We worked. We were beaten, we were tortured, I was sexually abused by two of the males in that house. And unfortunately, my brother, who died at 40, never got over that them severe beatings that he received, and he passed away. Um, and that was 30 years ago in April. 
It's and uh, as you as you know, uh, we have been again set aside. No recognition for us. No apology, as far as I'm concerned, for us. We came from different pathways. We didn't come from a mother and baby home. And as Mr. Varadkar said, that the children like us came from different pathways. And his expression in the doll two years ago, on my, for questions that was put by my TD, that this is something the government cannot ignore: the neglect that boarded out children suffered. And both he and Mr. Gorman felt the same. Well, we we know what the result of that was. Words, words, and words only. They meant nothing, and last night it proved that they meant nothing. Mm. We were given nothing, and not even the recognition that I wanted. I'm the the money is a side issue in this matter. I I believe that there are many boarded out children and foster children out there, including adopted, that didn't get the apology they deserved. It was all concentrated on one area, the mother and baby home, which is fine, I, I, and I support that vigorously. But as aborted out, unaccompanied children, we did not get the apology that Mr. Mr. Martin uh, gave. And, and I just want to make one comment about what Mr. Gorman said following that apology. He said, you have waited long enough for recognition. The state will engage with empathy, humility, and generosity with those who were wronged, and we strive to build the trust so grievously shattered. Well, well, they're fine words, but they meant absolutely nothing last night, and we all expected that. But I have to applaud the TDs that turned up last night to support us. Uh, I know it was a futile effort, but at least they were there. I sat in the door with other members of the, uh, from different backgrounds uh, and uh, you know uh, it, it, it was upsetting but it was expected Yeah, I know you've been very active on the justice trail over the past few years really James because and you're a solicitor yes. as well so I know before you've said in previous interviews that you will keep looking for the scheme to be changed until you die yes exactly and I, I and I, as I said for for, my, for people like my brother and others that have passed away, I am their voice today. I'll be their voice tomorrow. And I intend to carry this matter further. I have been in touch with the human rights, uh, Irish human rights uh, people. They have taken an interest in my case, and I am going to follow it up. And until the day I can't do any more, I will continue the fight to, to get the, the recognition and apology that we actually deserve. And if compensation is is there at the end of the day, yes, of course, they should pay compensation. But what what galls me about the whole thing is the fact that we have never actually been recognized. We haven't been given the chance to put our case forward. Uh, I mean, they talk about that it was a non-adversarial system. Well, I'm fully prepared to go to court and face one of them and say, this is what happened to my brothers and me. You know, my youngest brother, David, I only recently found out, and I'm still waiting to get papers from Tusla about uh, 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 his uh, background. He was taken at the age of 13 because he was rebellious and because he was being abused, and he was taken to a mental health hospital in Kalani and given shockwave treatment at the age of 13. And the excuse for doing it was, we thought he had epilepsy. You know, I was so shocked when I read that. 
you know, that how can they give do this to a 13-year-old child? Where was the consent and who consented to it? And it's just one of the things that I've been picking up about my other brother, Michael. Within two weeks of us being boarded out, the lady that boarded out decided she didn't want him anymore. So, and she wrote, and I have the letters to prove this. She wrote to the to Kerry County Council and asked them, "Can I hand this boy uh, over to my nephew, who was a bachelor, never had any anything to do with children?" And the letter came back within weeks. Yes, we agree to do that. So, well, you know, what, 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 I mean, we we were we were just pawns of the state. We were just just send them anywhere, give them to anyone. It doesn't matter what the conditions were. I mean, for example, the house that I lived in, and I know this applied to a lot of people, it had no running hot water, no electricity, and I had to share a bed with a man for 11 years who I was abused by. And yet, the, the, in, in the notes by the children's officer, she considered the accommodation that I lived in was adequate and comfortable. Well, I'm sorry, but... You know, that was a total lie. Yeah. You know, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, stay with me if you don't mind, James. I want to bring Conrad Bryan into the conversation. Conrad, your story really tells that of the very blatant systemic racism that was in these institutions as well. Yeah, thanks, uh, John, for having me on this morning. Um, can I can I just... Um, uh, just give a, a great word of thanks to Catherine Connolly, uh, who yeah. spoke yesterday in the Dáil as well, because she's a local uh, uh, TD in Galway. I spent um, uh, last year in Galway University, uh, and uh, the help and personal support that Catherine has given me has been absolutely fantastic. She's been an outstanding uh, TD over the last year, particularly on this this issue of mother and baby homes. And I just want to wish her well because I know she um, she 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 was she was unwell by the end of the end of the day and couldn't couldn't participate uh, in the final debate. So I just want to set, send out my my best wishes to her. Mm. Um, so, um, so John, yes, so systemic, <clears throat> so I'm, um, myself, my own personal story, uh, in terms of my background is my father was a black, uh, South African man. My mother was a white Irish person. Um, and like many of us, uh, we, many, but many of us were born in the period between uh, 1940, just to give some context, really, we were born between say, the 1940s and the 1960s, 70s. Um, uh, and our, uh, uh, we were left in institutions uh, such as mother and baby homes. Um, and uh, we have been arguing for since 2013 uh, uh, with, with the government uh, through the Justice Committee in the Oireachtas, um, arguing that you know we were never redressed for the racism that we we suffered. We we many of us when we reported to the justice committee back in two thousand and fourteen, you know we had come up with a lot of uh, evidence of um, you know the type of abuses that we suffered in their physical, emotional, sexual abuse and and the high rates of suicide. We reported that to the justice committee back in two thousand fourteen and nothing was done. 
Um, then the mother and baby home homes issue emerged and we lobbied the government again to look at the systemic racism that happened in these institutions. Now, I'm not talking just about mother and baby homes, but all institutions, because we predominantly spent longer. We spent longer in these institutions because of, because of the colour of our skin, basically. Um, and we wanted, uh, we wanted the government to investigate this because they didn't really investigate it uh, in the industrial schools. So they agreed, and uh, the health or the um, Minister Riley at the time agreed to put in a clause uh, and to, to oblige or to, to, to make the Commission of Investigation, the mother baby, investigate the systemic racism. Uh, and we were, we, I mean, this was a story that they put this in legislation. So Judge Murphy had to go and investigate uh, any any instances of um, systemic racism. And at the end, when the report came out, uh, you know, it, it revealed huge amounts of evidence and findings uh, of racial discrimination. But in its conclusion, its executive summary, it basically concluded that there was no discrimination in, in the areas of adoption. So we were we were completely shocked at this, John. Uh, we couldn't believe how, after all the, the testimony that we gave and and the findings within the detail and the testimony within the report itself, um, that that they, that um, that the commission could come to this conclusion that there's no racism. I mean, uh, it's just you know it's unheard of that there'd be no racism in an institution like that. So um, so obviously. Um, the apology came out after that and the government itself went actually further than the commission and actually said that they apologised or acknowledged that because um, because of racial prejudice, there was an unjust belief that we were unsuitable for family life. Can you believe that? We were unsuitable for family life. Now, this is the state saying this, apologising. Yeah. So they went, they went further. Um, so essentially, we were unsuitable for family to li life because of the colour of our skin. Um, most of us are of African descent. Um, and to hear this was, you know, it, was, it wasn't an acknowledgement. But then to see the, the scheme not recognising that we should be given some justice for this admission. This is actually admission of guilt. This is an admission of negligence by the state, not actually, um, you know, placing us. And I know from investigation myself that, you know, that, that there were plenty of families looking to adopt us. So my own personal situation, in fact, twice, uh, in the, I was in St. Patrick's on the Navan Road. And when I received my records, I could see that there was a family there and adoptive family uh, wouldn't take me. And when my mother left, you know, uh, after six months of me being in there, um, uh, one of the letters that I received uh, under FOI said that my mother left believing that I had a family. And then a second family came along uh, when I was four years old and also tried to try to adopt me. Um, and I only found this out very recently, just before the investigation into mother and baby homes. So I asked Judge Murphy to to investigate this and find out what what's behind this. Um you know, so it was it was quite a dist distressing, distressing experience to go through the mother and baby home uh, investigation committee because I had to give evidence under oath uh, and be cross-examined. Um, and even after this, I was so disappointed personally with the results that I decided that look, do you know something? There's the only there's only one way to do this actually to get if a commission in Ireland can't actually come to this finding that everybody knows there's racism in these systems, so there's racism in society in general. So to, 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 to conclude that, that this racism 
uh, is not in the institutions is just bizarre. So I decided to go to the United Nations and go into the special procedure. So again, it's like going through another uh, investigation personally, but also to, to um, you know, to bring to get across the the whole issue of us as a group and how we were treated. Um, and I asked the 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 UN rapporteurs if they could investigate not just the report itself and mother and baby on, but also look at the evidence that's in the Ryan report in the in the in the Ryan because if you read that you can also see racism. In fact, there's there's a quote in there that says that that, that um, uh, down in Clifton. Um, there was an investigation uh, by uh, a Department of Education official, and in the report it actually writes that there was a specific policy to send, in particular, mixed-race children to remote locations, and in quotes, and I, this is in the report, out of to be kept out of sight, out of mind. So if you just think of that, that means that we were kept out of sight, out of mind, so we're basically not in the purview of adoption society. So we're not put forward and put available for adoption. So we lose, we lost the chances to have fam the right to a family life. Um, so this is the sort of, this is the sort of narrative that's been lost in all this. And we're, we're just a small group. We're, we're quite a small group. So we, did, we didn't have the voice to be heard. Um, so it's, 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 it's good to be on here today, John, yeah. to, 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 to speak and to get that, this message across that we are, our voices have been lost in all of this, and and the only way we could manage to get our voices heard was by going to the United Nations. And in September, they agreed to issue a statement, a public statement, um, yeah. actually calling on the government to 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 provide us with adequate redress for the full duration of time that we were in in these institutions. So I was in an institution not for four years, only four years in in the mother and baby home. But I spent the remaining 14 years in in in, uh, in industrial school, which means that under this particular scheme, uh, I only and it's just, it applies to, to 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 many of us in the group. Um, I only get compensation for four years, but you know the scheme goes up to 10 years. But I still only get four years because I was shifted off to another institution, which is not which is not an institution within the scheme. So. You know, you could you could you could uh, envisage there would be people who may get compensation for perhaps six, seven years, uh, and then they're adopted. But then some of us who were not adopted, and we spent much more, much longer in institutions, only get four years because they, we were shifted off out to other institutions, and 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 in many cases to multiple institutions. Um, you know, so that's kind of generally, you know, what happened to us. Um, and sitting there yesterday in the gallery. Um, it was so disheartening um, watching watching the TDs come, you know, marching in um, to vote, and then marching out after the vote, and not 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 even sit, not even willing to sit down and listen to the arguments of the opposition. I mean, we had a fantastic people like Holly Kearns. We've, uh, you know, it, Sean. I know Sean is a Sean Casson is a Canny, yeah, Sean Canny, Sean. Sean Canny, he was there supporting us. Sean came up to the gallery to shake our hands. Holly came up to shake our hands. Yeah, but none of the government TDs came up to even acknowledge our presence. You know, and it was almost as though they've just marched in uh, and sitting snugly in the in their seats, voting uh, voting this horrendous scheme, 
which doesn't recognise so many things, as James is saying, it doesn't recognise boarded out children it doesn't recognize the racial discrimination that we we doesn't recognize illegal vaccines i was put through illegal vaccines it doesn't recognize illegal adoptions it doesn't recognize forced labor in institutions that are outside tomb you know this it's, it's just it's not a human rights it's just not a human rights uh, kind of it's not a human rights based scheme it's based on the amount of time you're in the institution and that means that basically if they're apologizing you for for race discrimination or, or for for example and not actually giving you redress for that it makes the apology meaningless yeah it makes it meaningless mm. uh, and the, and the other the other aspect to this which i find very disheartening you know i mean leo varadka basically, you know, um, attacked Catherine, Catherine Connolly yesterday saying that, you know, you're demonizing the government, uh, you know, uh, but, you know, we, in fact, <laughs> she has every right to demonize the government. If that's the way he perceives as demonizing, we should demonize the government for excluding all of these, uh, the, these, uh, these harms, excluding the children who are in there less than six months. Absolutely, they should be demonized. And then for him to say that, well, you know, we could give this money and spend this money today and spend it to make a brighter future for everybody rather than giving it to, to, to survivors. I mean, that's so disingenuous to come out with statements like this. And I think as well, I mean, Conrad, it's very ironic for the government to be playing the victim here as well. Yeah, I mean, the government seems to... Is the government the victim? I, I, I just feel... There's so much more to this than just the survivor and the government. Yeah. We're talking about we're talking about a, a national reconciliation here. Mm. We're talking about a past that everybody knows was horrendous, was hidden. And many people today are still living with the stigma of the past. And many survivors cannot even talk to their families about the past. And 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 as a consequence cannot advocate and cannot speak out and speak speak out to people like yourself, John, on the radio. Yeah. So they don't have a voice and they don't have power to influence the government and to say, this is what we want because they don't want to be known to have been in these situations. Yeah. So for the government to say that, look, we're doing the best we can. We're doing better than any other country in the world. This is what they say and this is what Leo Varadkar said. Yeah, this scheme is Going far beyond the the commission of investigation right. recommend, and it's going and it's better than any other country uh, that that had similar situations. Well, actually, it's not even a human rights based. This is the thing: is they go out, the, the, you know, the, the state goes out and signs all these human rights conventions and treaties, uh, uh, and they've got obligations on these these treaties, and then they 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 they, they create a a scheme which is basically determined by the finance department the finance department provide 800 million for this scheme and which is completely inadequate they provide it and whenever we put in amendments i mean i've tried to put in a number of amendments they're all kicked out of order simply because they had a, a cost tag to them such as the requirement say to to uh, to provide legal aid in the event that somebody does not want to accept this scheme but would rather go to court the government should the government should pay those court fees yeah. 
those legal fees to to provide this option to survivors if they so wish to go to court. You know, and they provided legal aid under the previous redress scheme. Mm. I mean, there's just so many. There's so many issues with this scheme. It's it's untrue. <laughs> it's I, just... I, I am I am pressed for time on this, Conrad. But we will be returning to it in the ten o'clock hour. We have a local uh, person from the the Chew Mother and Baby Home coming on in the ten o'clock hour. But I do want to give the final word to uh, James, if you're still with us there, James. Um, I still hear Yeah. So I, I know that uh, Breda Murphy of the Chew Mother and Baby Home Alliance is talking about a victims commissioner or something she would like to see brought forward to help deal with these sort of situations. Is that something you'd be in favour of? Right, I've already put that forward to Mr. Mr. Gorman in several emails I've sent him and to Mr. Uh, Michal Martin. And uh, obviously, we never get replies to our emails. Uh, or, or if you get a reply, it's not the answer or there's no answer in it as to what I, I feel that another commission would be helpful. But of course, if you go down that road, you know how they, they the whole thing gets put back and put back and look at the mother and baby home, how long that's taken to get to this stage. And of course, I'm getting older. Some people uh, won't be with us in in seven, eight years time. And of course, but I'm more interested in continuing my fight for human rights in the human rights court, because I believe that, you know, that we, we have been excluded and we haven't been given any enforceable right. We haven't been given any fair and adequate compensation, which is what the UN Convention says that survivors should get. We have not been we have not been given any kind of redress at all. And I feel that as a boarded out child, and I represent hopefully a lot of boarded out children that were in my position, and and including those that have passed away, that I need to carry this fight a lot further. You know, because if I don't, the dead can't cry out for justice. It's the duty of the living to do it for them. And I'm doing this more, not just for myself, but my brother Michael went through such a hell of a life. And he was such a happy-go-lucky boy when we were children until we went there. And I feel that whatever can be done, and I I applaud Conrad for his, his, his contribution. I listened to it intently and he was right about racism and all racism in 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 children's homes and 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 i i i hopefully i can connect with him at some stage and and we can carry the fight together all right well james sugru and uh, conor Bryan, i am out of time on this but we will be returning to it in the 10 o'clock hour thank you for joining us on goa talks thank you thank you thank you galway talks in association with tesco click and collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you Very good morning to you. Welcome back into today's programme. Now, a little earlier than usual of a Thursday morning, we're going to Dave O'Connell, the Connacht Tribune Group editor, who has the Connacht Tribune headlines. Dave, a very good morning to you. Morning, John. Lovely to hear you. Great stuff, Dave. Great stuff. Talk to us, Dave. You have a very packed Connacht Tribune, as always, on a Thursday. And the trolley crisis at UHG is once again on the front page. 
It is uh, packed in like sardines, as we put it, John, with the highest numbers uh, of the year to date. An overall figure soaring past 750 for February alone, and we still have nearly a week to go in February. Uh, UHD treated 62 patients on trolleys on Tuesday while waiting for beds to become available. That was the single highest day so far in 2023. Portioncla, incidentally, also had its highest figures uh, for 2023 this week. Uh, they had 30 recorded in the emergency department apartment and wards waiting for beds on Monday. Now, that had come down to three by Tuesday. Look, I know this is something that only really concerns people uh, when they're ill or somebody they know is ill, but it's too late to worry about it at that stage. And to be honest, we make no apologies for continuing to do it. And I'm afraid we'll have to continue to do it for some time to come. Absolutely. Now, there's good news for seaweed harvesters this week as well. Yeah, there is, uh, might be one of the few occupations uh, out there keeping ahead of inflation, uh, thanks to the intervention of a French company, uh, which has been pushing up prices for seaweed in Connemara. The price per tonne has uh, already surged past €110. That's more than three times uh, what it was uh, short for years ago. And the latest reports suggest that it's now going to €130 a tonne in the past week. So uh, good news on one front there, and that's the story on page three. Absolutely. Now, this one I can really get behind. You also have uh, Galway Barman attempting to break the world record for a pub crawl. Well, I'd go with you, John. In the old days, uh, to be honest with you, I'd be crawling after about three pubs now, so uh, I, I wouldn't be much good on that one. I, I just wish I thought of it when I was in my prime, which uh, is a very long time ago. Don't even know if the Guinness Book of Records is out when I was in my prime. But anyway, uh, in fairness to Derek Riley, he won't be drinking pints uh, because if he was, uh, to be honest, the trolley crisis would be the least of his problems. But he will have what we used to call a mineral, uh, a soft drink in 85 local bars mm-hmm. in 24 hours at the end of next month. Now, given that bars are not open 24 hours, or at least I don't think they are, uh, he'll be packing it into even less than that. He's raising money in the process for Children's Health Foundation. He'll start in Salt Hill on Friday, the 31st of March at 3 p.m., I thought, to be honest, he's tempting fate by going into April the 1st, because we know what day that is. But he's going to visit all of the pubs in Galway. He's going to head out west, stopping off in the bars in Mycullen and Uchterard. To be honest, that was as far as I ever got, because they're great pubs. Uh, Along the way to his adopted home in Clifton, where he works in Lowry's Bar, although I doubt he'll be working in Lowry's Bar that night. But best of luck to him. 85 bars in 24 hours. Even at my best, I wouldn't go a quarter of that. Yeah. Now, staying in Clifton and you're looking at how the town might look if a visionary plan is realised. Yeah, I I mean, this uh, uh, plan was revealed to the local area councillors this week and Frank Farrer takes a look at it over two pages today. And honestly, it's fantastic. It is dependent on funding uh, coming through from the the Rural Regeneration and Development Fund. But hopes are high on that front and it would see a huge investment along the waterfront out there in the centre of the town itself and particularly in terms of tourism and leisure facilities. It would make it not the envy of the county, the envy of the country. And you can see from some of the artist's illustrations uh, uh, impressions uh, how it might look because that's all in the in the two page spread as well today. Mm. Now the Goa footballers are off to Donegal with the new spring in their step according to the sports pages. Yeah, and I, I know you'd be much happier if we were talking about Mayo, but you, you know, you you made the jump, uh, so uh, those days are behind you now. Uh, you've been transplanted, and it's time to get a whole new focus, John. So let's talk about Galway football because uh, I know that's what you want to do. Oh yes, uh, fresh from that, <laughs> fresh from that great win over Tyrone, uh, Parik Joyce's charges uh, off to take on more northern opposition in Donegal uh, this weekend. That's previewed in sport. Uh, in fact, they could take uh, inspiration from another sporting visit to Donegal, Galway, and I. 
United uh, last weekend. They got their leave ca- league campaign off to a, a winning start away to Finn Harps. That's covered too, as is University of Galway's Fitzgibbon Cup final heartbreak. Uh, Connacht Rugby's new coach. There's loads of colleges, GA in there, uh, athletics and loads more. We have so many sports in Galway, John, as you know at this stage, it's more than just Gaelic football, don't you? Mm. Absolutely. No, definitely, Dave. Now, what else have you? <laughs> loads in there as we move on. Uh, loads of picks, Valentine's Balls, GA Social, uh, that um, weekend fundraiser, uh, which saw the, the biggest ever fashion show uh, in the West to raise funds for Fionn Silk from Octorard, whose story featured in the paper in the past and also on this programme uh, after he suffered life-changing injuries on holiday last summer. So a huge turnout to support him. Uh, we've been chatting to some of the Ukrainians now living here as uh, we mark a year, as so many are doing uh, since the invasion of their homeland. Uh, a really fascinating feature about a growing duct on our doorstep right in the heart of Menlo. I didn't know about this, but I do now. And Judy Murphy did a, a fabulous job on it. And there's a piece on how wool from uh, the endangered Galway sheep breed has sold out uh, just hours after it was launched onto the market, knitters from around the globe jumping at the unique chance to create a blanket with Ireland's only indigenous sheep wool. Uh, this isn't in the story, John, but apparently all of the, the Mayo sheep were ruled out because <laughs> they only come in two colours uh, since they were all painted green and red. Uh, now, it's the dye is beginning to wear off because it was for the All-Ireland final that they were in. So uh, maybe someday they'll get back to something closer to kind of white and sure who knows what will happen then. You can't just leave it, Dave, can you? You can't just leave it. <laughs> Dave O'Connell, the group editor of the Cardock Tribune, thanks indeed for joining us on Goa Talks. And just interesting on that uh, Minlock Gale talk, uh, I'll leave you with this one. Ganairian Boharlat. Goramahagot, Akaslan. Slan. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Find our award winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie. A very good morning to you. Welcome back into today's programme. We're getting a huge reaction from that interview we aired with Conrad Bryan and also James Sugrew, uh, two survivors of mother and baby homes institutions as well. So we'll try and get to those comments in the next hour. I'm just a bit pressed to time in this hour. But just there's one I do want to get to. Uh, it's from our listener Lucy. She got this text message in which reads, Hey, now you can send MMS to your friends on other networks for just 30 cents. That's it. Uh, she's wondering if that's a scam. Well, Lucy, I can tell you that, that might as well have scam written on it with big capital letters so delete and block that number and you should be very good to go uh, from there as well. Now though I want to look at planning because the new planning bill risks diminishing Irish democracy. Representatives of city and county councillors would have told the Oireachtas Housing Committee there on Tuesday the draft planning and development bill 2022 was designed to reform the planning process with mandatory timelines for decisions and greater alignment between national and local plans however in a submission to the committee, the Association of Irish Local Government, which represents 949 councillors all across city councils and county councils, says that the bill would further erode uh, the limited powers of local representatives, particularly in the development plan process. I'm delighted to say we're joined by former president of the AILG, Councillor Mary Hoad there from Hedford. Mary, very good morning to you. Good morning, John. Mary, give us your reaction to this. Well, John, look, I suppose 
as you said at the outset there yourself, there isn't a day that any one of us as elected representatives don't receive representations in relation to planning. And I think this uh, bill, the, the AILG members met with the Oireachtas Committee, has a number of areas that we are particularly concerned about. And some of it is to do with the whole centralising of planning applications. Because what has happened at the moment is the approach, this, the, the new centralised approach to planning won't take account of local circumstances and the needs as identified by the elected members. And I think it's important to put on record that all of the elected members are democratically elected by the public. They are the voice of the public in this whole process. And if, if we look at the current situation in relation to the return of people to a locality after COVID, and many of whom have stayed locally after this whole COVID situation, the arrival in recent weeks of refugees means that our population figures are already close to the national planning framework figures in our current county development plan in Galway. And we're only, we're only starting our, our current county development plan. Another area, I suppose, that there's huge concern around, and you've alluded to this, is the whole situation around the duration of development plans. Currently, uh, there is a proposal that Section 41 of the bill will extend the period of validity of a development plan from six years to ten years. Now, we've just, in Galway, completed our county development plan. And... I've already outlined to you there the circumstances where people are returning to an area uh, and the whole questions around people coming back into the area. They're talking about a development plan that will last 10 years with a robust review after five years. But like the concern we have is like all of the other documents that we must take into consideration in making a development plan, the national planning framework, the regional plan, the county development plan, the town plans, and then you have oversight by the OPR, and then you have the ministerial intervention. So our big concern in relation to all of this is 10 years is a long time. And that document will be what will be guiding the planning applications that will be coming in for our county. Mm. What's the big fear here, Councillor Hode? Is it that uh, the powers that be will push through things at the behest um, and at the disadvantage of what's in the interest of local councillors and thereby local people? Well, I suppose certainly uh, the big fear is that, I mean, they're talking about bringing this to the Oireachtas in two months. Like, we look at a development plan for two years before we make the decisions in relation to a development plan. This is a really important piece of legislation. Like, we're waiting for months for the rural housing guidelines, and I'm speaking specifically in relation to Galway County Council, but I know the same situation exists in the city. Like, if we don't have some say, like, the citizen and the, the individual person in the community needs to have their say and they have their say currently if you have a difficulty with a planning application many people contact their county councillors they speak to their engineers they speak to their architects and they're told to contact their county councillors there if this proposal decides to not allow for engagement by the citizen and engagement by the public and again engagement by the elected representative there is huge concerns around this and as i said we're waiting for rural housing planning guidelines we were told by the department they were going to be issued 11 months ago there's still no sign of those rural housing guidelines so like we need to protect the role of the citizen and the concern i suppose of the ailg who attended the meeting last week was to try and protect the role of the citizen to protect the role of the public to ensure that they have their say mm. that they're given the opportunity to to be able to have a say in what's happening can they not voice their their i suppose thoughts and on all that type of thing through different things such as appeals to onboard panola or is that not a go on this situation oh, oh. 
Well, well, yeah, but like nobody wants, not, not everybody wants to go to Hornbore Panola with every application. I mean, and the timelines in relation to Hornbore Panola are absolutely crazy at the moment. Yeah. Like anyone who has any involvement, and I know myself in relation to cases that I need to have communication with, the, the timelines in relation to making decisions from Hornbore Panola are crazy. And if every single application that went to Galway County Council that didn't have, uh, that didn't have the opportunity for a public to get involved in had to go to Hornbore Panola, you know, it's just, they don't have the resources anywhere to deal with this. Resources across the board are a huge issue. So they don't have the resources to deal with this. So I think they really need to look at, uh, to really need to ensure that the provisions are there to not exclude citizens uh, or members of the public or the elected members who are democratically representing the members of the public. All right, we will look uh, forward to it as it progresses through the Oireachtas there with great interest. We might get you on a, a little closer to that as well, but uh, Councillor Mary Ho, thank you for joining us on Goa Talks. Now, still to come on the programme, I actually missed out on one interview there in that hour, just it was been so busy and so jam-packed. Uh, Nuala McLaughlin, we'll be hearing from her in the 11 o'clock hour on 20 past 11. This is a Longford woman who was giving thanks, thanks to an incredible act of kindness which was shown to her and her daughter on, in Galway there on Tuesday evening. So all that plus lots, lots more still to come on the programme between now and 12 o'clock. Our number, of course, is 086-3833553. That's brought to you by rationale.ie. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Click and Collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you.